As we begin our week of spiritual emphasis over these next two days, we have a special guest with us, Jessica Bryan. She was formerly a youth pastor and youth director in the uh, Pennsylvania-Delaware district of the Assemblies of God, and then a couple of years ago, she began to feel the Holy Spirit call her to an evangelistic ministry. She was with us last year for a women's conference and then for a Sunday morning service and just felt uh, that we should have her back for a, a time of renewal at the beginning of this year, and so she's here to share God's word with us this morning, this evening, and tomorrow evening, I'm going to ask that you would open your hearts to what God has to say through her and join me in welcoming Jessica Bryan. Here in Bethany Assembly of God in Agawam, Massachusetts. Um, I have been looking forward to this. You guys are my first 2023 ministry event of the calendar year. So just thank you for opening up your doors, Pastor Stephen, for me to be able to come and minister. Um, I don't know about you, but time goes by quickly. How many can say yes, amen? It goes quickly. You know, I remember for me, it feels like just yesterday that I was a freshman in college. I was 19 years ago. A freshman in college, and I remember it well, the course was quantitative reasoning. I mean, know what that is. Neither did I. Quantitative reasoning. I entered that classroom, and I can tell you from the moment that that syllabus entered my hands, I knew I was in way over my head. My plan was simple. Sit towards the back, make little to no direct eye contact, and just befriend anyone who looked like they had a small grasp or handle as to what was being taught in the class. You know, every time I would enter that classroom, I can tell you that I would begin to pray fervently. I would say, dear God, please do not let the professor call on me. You know, and then it happened. It was the moment that I had feared and dreaded. The professor, she called out my name and she said, Jess, can you please answer for the class the math problem that's listed across the board? I looked at her as honestly as I knew how, and I said, I can't. She paused for a moment, and then with this look of sympathy, proceeded to ask me, well, at what point did things stop connecting for you? At what point, right, did, did it stop working or you stopped being able to grasp or grow in your understanding of this concept? I answered her as honestly as I knew how. I said way back at the beginning, elementary school. Yeah, the conversation ended there and she continued on with the class. You know, I often thank God for my husband and the blessing that he is to my life and to my children's lives. You know, and I especially do so when it comes time for them to complete their math assignments. Third grade is beyond my scope. And so uh, I can tell you while I was taking pre-algebra, he was taking calculus four. So my children are okay. You know, it's been said that the mathematical skills that students learn from kindergarten through eighth grade are the foundational skills upon which all higher level math courses build. In fact, in an honors research project, there were 39 9th and 10th graders from a college preparatory program who were tested on their basic mastery of foundational mathematical skills. These 39 students were split up into two different groups. These groups would be tested on fractions and ratios and proportions. Both tests were made up of three questions. 
These students came, the first 20 students, and they were tested on fractions. And as they were tested on fractions, the questions, three questions, came from a third, fourth, and fifth grade math comprehension level. Out of those 20 students, five of them passed. They continued on with the second test with the remaining 19 students. They were tested on the ratios and proportions. These 19 students were given a test, three questions, one from a sixth grade and two from a seventh grade math comprehension level. Out of 19 students, only two passed. The research project, uh, they resulted in understanding in a greater way that the foundation of math, right, the basics, if they're not mastered, if the how, the procedural knowledge, right, and the why, the conceptual understanding, if they fail to connect, that students will struggle in all higher level math concepts. In short, the basics, they matter, right? For they largely determine and they are the building blocks upon which continued growth and success take place. You know, I would dare say in a similar way that the same is also true as it relates to our Christian walk and our spiritual life, right? The basics, right, the, the fundamentals, the building block, the foundation of our faith, it matters greatly, both for our present and future relationship with God as we navigate a sin-filled world. How many understand that we are all navigating a sin-filled world? In our foundation, it matters greatly. You know, the reality is if we solely focus on the do's and don'ts, right, a list of rules and requirements, while failing to make the connection between the rules and why they matter, how many understand that it can easily become for us mere religion, causing us to miss out on the very thing the rules are to be a pathway to, a deeper, a greater, more intimate relationship with the Father. How many can say today, man, I want a deeper, greater, more intimate relationship with the Father? You know, as we prepare to turn to the book of James, and what we find is this, a practical manual. How many like manuals? Some of you, all the guys are like, no, we're good. You know, a practical manual, right, or a how-to-do-it book on Christian living. You know, what I love about the book of James and specifically about James the author is he doesn't just give us basic instruction, right, but he tells us why it matters. You know, as he's writing to the first century Jewish Christians um, who have been scattered throughout the world, as we arrive at James chapter 4, starting at verse 1, and reading from the New Living Translation, he gives this warning and counsel and admonition. He says, what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you do ask, your motives are all wrong. You want what will only give you pleasure. Verse 4. You adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. 
Do you think that scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate, that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him. And he gives grace generously. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter, gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. You know, James, the writer uh, and the author of the book, was also the brother of Jesus. He was also a former skeptic of Christ. Yet it's evident, right, that a radical change took place within James. Right? As we read the book of James, we understand that, th that something happened. There was a radical change within James that moved him from a cynical, doubting younger brother to a faithful follower and a strong leader within the first century church of Jerusalem. Without a doubt, the revolutionary reworking within James, I believe, can be traced back to that, that moment, that captivating, attention-grabbing moment where Jesus personally appeared to James as the risen Christ. You must know that this reunion for James, this revelation was life-altering. How many can say this, that the moment that you had that revelation as to who Jesus was, that it was life-altering, it changed everything within you and everything you pursued. It was this moment, this agent that transformed, right, a sibling into a servant, an antagonist into an apologist, and a pessimistic observer into an impassioned follower of Jesus Christ. You know, as you read the book of Acts, you find that right subsequent to Pentecost that there was a rapid spread of Christianity as the message uh, was preached boldly by the disciples. You know, in response to this rapid spread of Christianity, as, as you look at the culture and what was taking place, that it ushered in intense persecution and hostility towards those first century uh, Jewish Christians living in Jerusalem. How many understand that the goal was simple? Eliminate the church and obliterate any trace of Christ's followers. How many know that the devil's tactics and his goals haven't shifted too much since that time? You know, as we look at this, the result of this persecution was that there was a scattering that took place. Really a dysphoria or a dispersion of believers from Jerusalem throughout the world. And this is why James in James chapter 1 verse 1 describes them as the 12 tribes. You know, a large number of those that were scattered were young or newer converts in their faith. And so James, he's observing the situation and he's looking at what's taking place and he realizes that there's no location on earth that would provide an continued escape from the persistence of the enemy. How many wish there was like some sort of spot on earth where you could just avoid the enemy, right? James understood that that wasn't the case. He also understood that there was no destination on the planet where they would find themselves right outside of a culture that no matter where they were, they were going to be surrounded by a culture that sought to divert their attention, affection, and loyalty, and activity to and for 
God. The scattering created an undesirable distance between these believers and the apostles. And as a result of these things, living for Christ without a doubt was going to become more difficult and more arduous. Especially so for these newer converts. And so James, as he writes to believers, he speaks to the crucial role and the importance that the basics, right, the foundational elements of their faith or the lack of will have and is already having on their present commitment, future development, and kingdom impact. And as a result, James, he calls for an awakening. He says, listen, it's a time to arouse from inactivity or indifference. It's time to understand that you need to have a a keen awareness as to the spiritual war that's being waged for your attention and ultimately your affection. James's message and call to awakening, I believe, as, as much as it was needed in that first century church of Jerusalem, as I was preparing and writing this message, I felt that the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart for the churches today. That listen, there is a great need in the 21st century. Maybe this message is even more needed today than when it was written back originally to that first century church. I believe so strongly that this generation of believers, that the church is in desperate need of another great awakening, a revival of inactivity, right, and and indifference, a revival of kingdom-minded interest as it pertains to knowledge and application of the word, a keen awareness that, man, there is a war being waged for us and around us. How many understand we must wake up so that our commitment, man, our development And our impact doesn't become stifled or choked out. I felt the Holy Spirit just highlighting three primary areas to which James calls believers to an awakening. And the first is this, the awakening to the core of chaos and the campaign of the enemy. In Romans chapter 7, the Apostle Paul, we know, he highlights the internal struggle that takes place within every believer. I'm going to understand that If you're a believer, right, and you're breathing, as long as you walk this earth, there's a struggle that takes place. An internal struggle, especially as we navigate a world that Jesus said we do not belong to. James identified that earthly wisdom and divine wisdom are at odds with one another. I may understand that that God's requirements and moral law and code are so vastly different from that of the world. And they are in opposition with one another. And James identifies that within every believer, right, there is a a tug of war occurring, a spiritual battle and a conflict taking place. But what I find is very interesting is that James doesn't chastise the believers for this conflict occurring. I mean, you know that. He doesn't say this conflict shouldn't occur. He recognizes that it will occur, but what he does highlight is how to identify and how to know when the battle is being lost, how to know if you've moved from captivated by the Lord to becoming a captive of this world. And he makes it clear that a losing battle is not only characterized by the overwhelming presence of conflict in the division, but in the absence of unity and peace in our life. James gets right to the heart of the matter, and he says this. He says, what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? And he points directly to the evil desires at war within them. In other words, what he's saying is, what is present among you 
is simply mirroring what is taking place within you. He's saying what you're seeing, right, what you see in the outward is purely a reflection of the inward chaos that's taking place. In other words, that what you're seeing with the natural eyes is a window into the spiritual state of the battle. The believers that were once captivated by the Lord had allowed earthly wisdom, that mindset that is in contradiction to the word of God, and evil desires and passions and pride to begin to take root. And as a result, this first century church found them in a place where they were no longer captivated by the Lord, but they were becoming captives to the ruler of this world and the pursuit of the flesh and frustrated by unfulfilled desires. How many in this room would be honest enough to admit that there probably have been times in your life where you've pursued things that that weren't in alignment with the word of God and God's will for your life. And you found yourself in a place where, man, you were left frustrated by unfulfilled desires. And here in this moment, James, he's writing to those believers, right, those brothers and sisters as he originally addresses them in James 1 verse 2. And and he's saying, listen, you find yourself in a place where you're frustrated and you're in a place where your life is unfulfilled And he's saying, because you have begun to seek earthly wisdom instead of divine wisdom, you find yourself in this place. How many have ever found yourself in such a place and you recognize it was because I was pursuing the wrong things? And here James, he's bringing them back to one of the basics, right? One of the fundamental parts of our walk with the Lord. He points them back to prayer. He points them back to a place where they would seek divine wisdom over earthly wisdom. He says, yet you, have, you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you do ask, you don't get it for your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. In their frustration, James directs them back to prayer. How many understand when we come to God, prayer is to be the forsaking of my will in submission to that of the Father's. And it it reminds us that we are in covenant relationship with God. How many know that that covenant relationship, man, that offers a protection and a security against the campaign of the enemy? And prayer provides us as, as a weapon that seeks to destroy that covenant relationship. You know, James understood that under such intense persecution and hostility, that there would be this temptation among believers, right, to begin to compromise. You know, as I look out at our culture today, man, I think that we are in a, a position in our world where there is a temptation for believers to begin to compromise. Right, why? And James writes to believers and he understands that there's this temptation to compromise because when we compromise, it starts to alleviate some of that pressure that we feel in the here and now, allowing for a more comfortable and pleasurable life in the here and now. But how many understand that covenant relationship demands total commitment and surrender? And so James, he puts a spotlight on the believer's lack of both by calling them adulterers. I mean, no, James is like being pretty bold here in this moment as he's writing to believers and, and here they are in this moment. And as you read scripture, what you understand is that many times when people are referred to as adulterers in the Bible, that phrase is used, that it's being issued to people who believe they're okay with God. 
I mean, in this moment, here they are, and these believers, these, these churches, these scattered believers are in a place, and James is saying, you guys are adulterers, and in this moment, they're thinking they were okay, and they were in right standing with God. And he issues this call to awaken, to let them know that you can't court the world and be in right relationship with God. Come on, church. There is no room for compromise within the body of believers that Jesus Christ is coming back right for a spotless bride. And today the church must awake up to the fact that you can't court the world and be in right relationship with God for its spiritual adultery. You know, the emphasis is he states this twice, jarring them to reality to let them know that it's time to wake up, that there's no middle ground. You're either all in or you're all out. It's either friendship with the world or faithfulness to the Lord. You see, compromise plays into the enemy's desire to avert believers' attention and affection from the things of God back onto self so that the captivated become captives so that friends become enemies, so that co-laborers become competitors, so that the unified become divided. The enemy's campaign is to derail commitment, hinder development, and deaded impact, both personally and publicly. How many know that the devil's plan has been the same since the first century church? Man, he wants to eliminate the church and obliterate any trace of Christianity. And prayer, the basics of prayer, brings us back where we experience this contending for control. That when we come to a place where we say, God, we want your will over our own will, man, it allows for us to stand in victory. You see, um, when we are experiencing these things where there's a lack of peace and a lack of unity, you know, personally and corporately within the body, what we understand is that it speaks to the current state of the battle. When I talk about peace, I'm not saying that there's an absence of hardship or struggle. How many know in the midst of persecution, the church should still have peace? In the midst of, of the world issuing and, the, and all of hell issuing darts, the church should still be advancing in unity and moving forward. How many understand that today it is so important that we come back to a place of prayer, that the church should be defined, believers should be defined by people of prayer, to understand that, God, I am submitting my will to the will of the Father. There will be no room for compromise in this house. You see, the enemy offers that those deep-seated desires will be fulfilled by sinful passions and the pursuit of worldly pleasures. But I'm here to tell you today that it promises wholeness, but in its wake is a palpable incompleteness. You know, it markets joy, but it leaves behind, right, brutal unrest. How many understand that the enemy peddles peace, but in its wake he shells out brutal unrest? James knew, and so does the devil, you can't sprint towards hell while holding the hand of God. It's either captivated by the Lord or captive to this world. And that's why James points us back to prayer, back to communion, back to covenant. I mean, no, prayer, when we come to this place where we come to prayer and we say, God, we recognize 
that we are having conversation, that we are in relationship, that we are surrendering our will and seeking divine wisdom above our own. Secondly, there's a call to awakening to the character of God and the consequence of posture. You know, as James writes to believers who he has declared to be in open adultery, he reminds them of God's character. I mean, know that God is jealous for his bride. As scripture says, he's passionate that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him. We've said that covenant relationship demands total attention and, and affection. Yet in the midst of that, I love that James doesn't just stop there. He reminds us that God is a grace-giving God. How many are thankful today that we serve a God who is abundant in grace? He says God is a grace-giving God. In other words, as he's writing to, to the believers who have missed the mark on so many levels, he's reminding them that they do not have to stay in that condition, that the church, right, can begin to change direction and get back on track because of the more and abundant grace, that God's grace was still greater. Greater is he that is within you than he that is in the world. The same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Come on, church. It lives in me. It lives in you. You do not have to be a captive to the things of this world. I mean, it's available. God's grace, his strength, his power is available to you so that you can overcome. Don't believe the lie of the enemy. Well, I'm always gonna be a liar. I'm always gonna be a cheater. I'm always gonna be a drunk or an addict, or I'm always you know, gonna be insecure. How many understand that greater is he? Come on, church, we've gotta get to a place where we recognize that we're not crippled by the things of this world, that we have his power and his spirit residing within us that enables us to do all that he's asked of us to do. It's that more grace that will enable. But the key part is that our posture is of greatest consequence. I mean, you know, uh, here James, he reminds them and directs them to prayer, and then he directs them to the importance of posture. I mean, you know, my posture either brings about God's grace or his opposition in my life. I may can say, I don't want God's opposition. <laughs> I mean, oh, I want God's grace, that more grace. He says, humble yourselves before the Lord. Humble yourselves. You see, humility, this posture of humility recognizes that I can't do this in my own strength. How many have found that to be true? I can't do this in my own strength. You know, both hands are raised up here. I mean, oh, when I have done it in my own strength, I've made a fool of myself. How many know that that posture of humility is crucial because it either brings about God's grace or his opposition in my life, when I walk in pride, man, I receive God's opposition. Humility renders great grace, which allows me to resist the devil. You know, the same promise that Christ made to the apostle Paul, he also makes to us when he says, my grace is all you need. My power works best in your weakness. That more grace. You see, although the devil, you know, he leaves for a moment, he, the, what does scripture tell us, right, in Matthew 4, that uh, the devil looked for another opportune time. And that's why we have to posture ourselves daily, sometimes moment by moment, right, in our lives in a posture of humility that says, Holy Spirit, I need you at work in my life. I need more of you because I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. 
you know, maybe you're in here today and you're just saying, you know, I have been trying all of 2022 and into 2023 just to do it in my own strength. You know, I've been trying to make it happen. Maybe today you've been plagued with the idea that you're always going to be in the spot you're in. Maybe, you know, I, I, I travel and I speak to teenagers, and oftentimes one thing, a common theme that I hear probably more than I ever have in my almost 15 years of ministry I hear this, I hear, I'm always going to be somebody who struggles with anxiety. I'm always, you know, going to be, and then they, they fill in the blank. Hear me today. Maybe that's you today, and you've always just believed that this is always how life is going to be. Maybe you're a believer in this room, but you've just kind of accepted that you're always going to have this struggle. I'm here to squash the lie of the enemy today, that his grace is greater, that there is a more grace available to you as you humble yourself before the Lord. Maybe you need to be reminded today that the same grace that initially captivated you can captivate you again. Lastly, I was impressed by a call to awakening to the completeness of repentance and the credit of humility. The completeness of repentance and the credit of humility. You know, in James 1 verse 2, James originally addresses those that he's writing to as brothers and sisters. Adelphio, that's what he says. But here in James chapter 4 verse 8, he refers to them as sinners. How many know that that's a stark contrast? He's speaking to and centering it on their need to repent. And then he follows it up with, come close. I mean, that also signifies that there is now a tangible distance from where they initially started to where they are in the present. As I was pondering and thinking about this, I, I thought about my own life. And man, there have definitely been seasons where, man, I wasn't where I used to be. Any other sinners in the room? And a coming back to coming close. What I love about this invitation to come close, however, is that James doesn't say that there was a list of requirements that had to take place before they came close. He said, come close. I mean, no, that, that speaks to the fact that they didn't have to get everything right before they came. They just needed to come. Maybe there are those of you in this room, and you've made a mess of 2022, and you started out 2023 not so great. And today you're just saying, man, I believe that the Holy Spirit, even prophetically, is speaking to some of you in this room. Man, just come close. Man, you're not where you used to be, but today is an opportunity for you to come close. You don't need to get yourself all together before you come close. Just come and when you come, God's worthiness, his holiness, his, everything that he is will stand in stark contrast with our unworthiness. And in that moment, something begins to happen. James says before there can be joy, right? There has to be deep grief and sorrow. There has to be penitence, repentance over sin, over that which caused a distance from where we are now to where God is. How many, you know, as I was just praying over this, I felt like the Holy Spirit was speaking that so, so often in churches and in, in the Christian circle, we like to steer clear 
of this call for repentance. And I'm not speaking to this church. I'm speaking as a church as a whole. How many understand that God is a grace-giving God, but he's also just? That that's who he is, and he's immutable in his character. He doesn't change. And although he issues this, this invitation to come close, that it demands and requires that when we come close and we see our unworthiness parallel to his worthiness, that it brings us to a point where we recognize we need to repent. James calls them back to a place of prayer, of posture, and penitence, where he says there has to be deep grief and sorrow over sin. And I believe for the church to continue to fulfill the mission and the call of God, that we have to come back as individuals, as Christians, as believers, and say, I'm not going to leave any room for compromise in my life, that I'm coming back to a place of repentance. You see, the credit of repentance and humility, it brings about what earthly wisdom never can. It brings about honor. I mean, no, that's what James says. He says, when you posture yourself right and you come back to a place of repentance, that the credit of humility is honor. I mean, no, most of us are looking for that which, which will fulfill us. But how many know it's only coming to repentance in a place of surrender, a coming close, that the Lord will be able to lift you up? I believe that there's a call, and as the worship team or, uh, comes now or the keys I believe as this call is being issued today, as I look around this room, and I may know that we can look like we have everything all together. If you have any form of social media, it's easy to uh, see that people like to promote their highlight reels, right? The best things that take place, but they don't show you the moments where life is falling apart. How many understand you may be here today and you may be very good at projecting the highlight reels or the best parts of yourself, but how many know that the Holy Spirit knows exactly where you're at today? And I believe that today is a coming back to the beginning or coming back to the basics day, a place where, man, it's a place of going to be of prayer, this altar. It's going to be a place where we posture ourselves we're going to start off 2023 right. It's going to be a place of penitence where we ask God to forgive us for the ways, man, that we've allowed distance to come between ourselves and him. You see, the enemy's tactic has always been the same. It's always been, right, to eliminate the church and obliterate any trace of Christ's followers. And sometimes he doesn't do that in a way where there's such intense persecution, but sometimes he does it by us allowing for the things of this world to begin to take root in our lives. And little by little, our testimony is tainted as we become looking more and more like the world. That Jesus said, you do not belong to. You do not belong to. If you're a believer in this place, I'm going to ask you, even if you've never made that decision for Jesus to become your Lord and Savior, I'm going to invite you just to bow your head and close your eyes all across this room. Back to the beginning, you know, back to the basics. James knew that before there could be a deliverance, there had to be a death. That before there, you know, could, could be a 
revival or a resurrection, there had to be a repentance. And before there could be honor, there had to be humility. I believe as I was praying in my, my office, my little office in my home, and I sought the face of God over what to share with Bethany Assembly of God today. It was this message that was burning on my heart. And I believe that the devil desires, as he does with all churches, but he desires to deaden your impact. And I believe today that the enemy is gonna be sorry that he ever intended to come against the church. That today we're gonna come back to a place of prayer, a posture of humility, and a place of penitence where we seek the face of God. Lord, I pray right now for Bethany Assembly of God. I pray for every individual in this room. God, I pray, God, for those that feel a tangible distance between themselves and God. Today, I, I pray and I speak, even prophetically, that today is gonna be a day of coming close. And as they come close, God is gonna come close to them. Lord, I pray, God, for the one, Lord God, who has said, I'm always gonna struggle with this or I'm always going to be you fill in the blank. Today is gonna be a day where they declare as they humbly depend on God and they posture themselves in such a way. Today is gonna be a day of breakthrough where God's more grace is gonna show up and be evident in their lives and they are not gonna walk out of here the way they came in. Lord, and I pray that for those, Lord God, that just need some divine wisdom and direction, that at this altar, during prayer time, God, you're gonna impart words of wisdom. God, whether through your people or your pastors, God, or whether you're gonna just whisper in their ear what they need. Here's my first call today. You're in here and I'm gonna invite you to just raise your hands right where you are. You're in here today and you're just saying, I need divine wisdom. Going into 2023, I need some divine wisdom. There are things going on in my life where I need divine wisdom. I'm gonna invite you to raise your hand just real high around this room, I just need some divine wisdom. Wisdom from the throne. I'm gonna invite you to do something else for me. If you're comfortable, I'm gonna invite you to come up here and just find a spot at this altar. You're gonna come up here and you're gonna say, I'm gonna come to a place of prayer. I need divine wisdom. If you raise your hand and you're willing just to make your way to this altar, we would love to pray for you, agree with you for that wisdom today, that it's gonna be imparted from the throne. divine wisdom. There are things going on. There are things that I don't feel prepared for. The world's saying one thing, God, but I, I need to hear your voice. I need specific direction and instruction. If we could just make room. I'm gonna make a second call here in a moment, but this is for divine wisdom. You're just saying today, I'm making room, I'm coming back to a place of prayer, reminding that I'm in covenant relationship and I have a father who will not leave me, come on, let's declare that, with unfulfilled desires, but a God who is a God of more than enough, a God who has no lack, a God who abounds in wisdom and in grace and in power, a God who's gonna give you everything you need to live out what he's asked you to live out. And so today we're coming to a place of prayer, coming to a place of prayer. Here's my second call today and we're gonna take time to pray, but you're in here and you're just, man, you're saying today, I need God's grace in my life, that more grace. 
Today I'm gonna stand up and I'm gonna say, I'm no longer gonna be in a place where I say, I am always gonna be this, or I'm always gonna struggle with this. But today I'm gonna stand and I'm gonna step in and recognize that I'm gonna posture myself in such a way where I'm no longer struggling. If that's you, I'm gonna invite you just to make your way up to this altar and we're gonna pray for you. If that's you, you're just saying, I'm not, I'm not declaring that over my life. In 2023, it's gonna be a new thing where I'm stepping into that more grace that God has for me. I am a child of the King. I am a co-heir with Christ. And he provides me with all that I need to live out this life of godliness. And finally, maybe you're in this room today and just through a raise of hand, you would say, I need to come close. Every head bowed and every eye closed just so these people in this moment and you're just saying, I need to come close. I recognize that I need to repent, that I'm not, I haven't been living how a believer lives, or maybe you've never had that opportunity or accepted Jesus Christ as your savior. And just through a raising of hands right now today, you're saying, I'm coming to a place where I repent of my sins. I'm coming to a place where I'm coming close to God. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak in this moment. God, I pray for those that are distant, God, that are far off. Begin to just cultivate the soil, God. God, I pray, God, just, God, that you would begin to till it like a tiller, Lord God. Soften it. God, all of those hard rocks and those things that would keep them distant from you. Today, God, we say that the, the soil of their soul would be receptive and tender to the things of God. If that's you today, I'm gonna invite you, just even if you come down the aisle and that's you, you're coming down to a place where we've postured ourselves, we're praying, and we're coming to a place of penitence, deep sorrow. I'm gonna just pray over you. Church, I invite you just to take your hands. I do this all the time. Raising both of our hands is a universal sign of surrender. And today we just say, God, we surrender. God, we surrender. We're a people who are in covenant relationship with you. We're a people, God, who have said we are not gonna compromise, but we are gonna posture ourselves in such a way where we will hear your voice. We will be endued with your power and with your strength, Lord God. I pray over every individual, Lord Jesus, God, that is saying they need divine wisdom. God, I pray you just begin to impart that now. Begin to impart that now, Lord Jesus. God, I pray, God, for direction, whether it be, God, in the family, God, what their future looks like. God, I pray whether it's an employment. God, I pray, God, over the pastors of this church, God, as they move forward, God, wisdom. Lord, I pray if it's within families, with children, Lord God, or marriages, God, the divine wisdom would be imparted. Lord Jesus, God, I pray for those that need a touch in their body and they just need divine wisdom with how to move forward, Lord Jesus. God, I pray that you would do it today. We know, God, that you meet us, Lord God, as we said in the beginning, Lord, when we seek you and we seek you with all of our heart, God, God, we can find you. And today we're seeking you. We're seeking your face. We're seeking your will. We're reminded that we're in covenant relationship with the Father and your will trumps anything that my flesh desires. Your will. Lord, I pray, God, for those that have come to the altar. If you're in here today and you've just said, I'm the one who said that I'm always gonna be this way. If that's you and you're just saying, I needed reminded of the more grace, can you wave at me today? If that's you and you've just said, I needed a reminder, just wave your hand. If you don't mind, if you can come just right here, I'd just love to pray with you. I don't wanna embarrass you. If there's any more, you're just saying today, man, I just need that more grace. That's you, you. Is there anybody else today? You're just saying, I declare that today I'm not always gonna be this way. I'm reminded of the more grace. 
We're gonna pray today, church, would you raise your hands and reach it out, Lord Jesus. God, I pray for these ones, Lord God, that have come to the altar, Lord Jesus. God, that are posturing themselves in such a way. God, where they say, I need to depend on you. God, I want your grace in my life that allows me to resist the lies of the enemy. God, because he will flee from me. God, that greater is he that is within me than he that is in the world. And Lord, today, God, I pray and I speak. God, whatever the lie of the enemy is that he's spoken, that says you're always gonna struggle with, or you're always going to be a, or you're never gonna overcome. Today, God, we declare the devil is a liar. God, and we declare that more grace, the God that is sufficient. Lord, your grace works best in our weakness. And so today, God, we position ourselves in a posture that says we depend, we rely, God, on you, for you are more than enough and you never lack. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Amen. Before we transition here today, I'm not closing up the altars, but I, is there anybody in here today that you would just say, and you would wave big, today's the day where I need to come close. Man, it's a coming close day. Maybe you've never accepted Jesus, but today is your day. Today's a day where you're saying, I'm turning from what I used to run towards and I'm gonna run towards Jesus. If that's you, just wave big towards me. I wanna pray with you. I see that hand. Is there anybody else today? Just wave big so I can see. Anybody else today? I'm gonna invite you. I see that hand right there. Is there anybody else today? Hand right there. Would you do me a favor if you've waved at me? I've seen you. Would you mind just meeting me right here? Because I want to pray with you. I'm already up here, so you don't need to feel embarrassed. I'm a mom with three kids, so I give good hugs. I don't bite hard. So if you're coming up here today and you're just saying, man, I want to surrender. I'm coming to a place of repentance today, a place where I'm turning from the way I used to live and I'm running towards Jesus, the one who has all that I need. If there's a pastor or board members or deacons that would just be willing to lay hands on, I want you to come in close. You've been on my heart since I first saw you here today and we're just gonna pray. I mean, oh church, this is what it's all about, right? This is what it's all about. This is why the church exists for the lost to become found, to come back. We're gonna pray, hear me, this prayer doesn't save you. It's what you believe in your heart and the Bible says what you confess in your mouth. And I believe this, belief always changes our behavior. So what I believe is gonna direct how I live. So stay plugged into church, be a person of prayer, posture yourself in humility, and regularly activate repentance, penitence, because the devil flees, but he looks for another opportune time. So we're just gonna pray today. You can repeat after me if the whole church, if you would repeat, say, dear Jesus, I thank you for dying on the cross for me, for my sins. Lord, I make you Lord of my life and I accept the work that you finished on the cross. I surrender every part of me and I love you, Jesus. I ask you to forgive me of my past and where I was this morning but I thank you for making me a new creation. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Amen.
As we transition, I just wanna pray one last time over Bethany. I do believe, and I told my husband before I left, I said, um, Pastor Stephen and Andrea and their children, they're special, aren't they? And I believe that this church is, is special, that God has his hand and he's established leadership and he's positioned certain people. And I believe that the best days for the church are ahead, not behind it. I don't believe that. That, you know, when people say all the good old days, there were good old days, but I believe the best is yet to come. And I believe that the Holy Spirit is raising up believers who are not gonna be okay with compromise. That doesn't mean just, they're gonna live it. And man, your impact, man, the devil's gonna regret the day that he came after the church. So I just wanna pray over you. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for Bethany. God, we thank you, God, for Pastor Stephen and Andrea and their children and the pastoral staff and team and the board members. God, I just pray, God, that you continue to do a great work in this body and in this church. Lord, I pray that this church would be a, a church and individuals of prayer, that they would regularly posture themselves in a place of humility and rest on God's grace and strength at work in their lives. And God, I pray that they, this would be a church of penitence. God, where regularly they would say, Lord, search me, search me. If there's any offensive way in me, Lord God, I pray, God, that we would be this type of believers and this type of church, that we would cling to the basics so that way you can take us into greater heights, God, than we've ever been before. In Jesus' name, and all of God's people said, amen and amen. God bless you, Pastor Stephen. Church, if you want to continue to if any of you want to continue to draw near the Lord in prayer, the altar is open. We will continue to believe and pray with you. You are certainly welcome to do that. As you go, please be respectful as people may want to continue to seek the Lord in prayer. And uh, make sure that you are here for the following services tonight. We would love to have you here with us. We believe the Lord is going to continue the work that he's doing today. And I want to encourage you again. We know that churches should be places of prayer. Let's be a church of praying people as well as a place of prayer. We want, to know, we want to know the Lord's presence in our lives. And I know that it's so basic. And you say, we say prayer all the time. And we say we have a prayer meeting. And we have uh, Sunday evenings of prayer. And we have different prayer services. And, and, and maybe sometimes it feels repetitious. But I really love the way that Jessica put it this morning and reminded us that prayer is the simple exchange of our will for God's and how we need that, don't we? Over and over, we need it. Daily, we need it. Because we know that the world wants us to exchange God's will for its will. And every day we need to be exchanging our will and the will of this world and the ways of the world for the will and the ways of God. And prayer is where we do that. I want to encourage you to be a person of prayer and make this a place of prayer. If you want to continue to pray even now, you're welcome to do that. Otherwise, we will see you again this evening at 6 p.m. as we continue this week of spiritual renewal. Until then, go in God's grace and in his peace.